hear the word of God from 2 Samuel chapter 6. Now King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because, the, because of the ark of God. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing the linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. While he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women. And all the people went to their homes. When David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls with the servants of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. And Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this text. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the life of King David as we round the bend of his life at this amazing moment in his story. I pray now that as we share together the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pure and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We went hiking yesterday up in Bellingham on this trail, and I have learned the importance of good footwear in hiking. I had the plantar fasciitis for a while, and then I got some good exercises, and we got rid of that, which is great. So now I can kind of dance too, right? And we went hiking, and our hike ended with a long downhill hike down to Teddy Bear Cove up there in Bellingham. If you know it, it's quite a decline. And I sure was glad to have good footwear. It's good to be prepared for the path God puts before you. David learned that from what happened to Uzzah. Remember Uzzah last week when he got a little bit too, um, you know, practical with God's ark. They put it on an ox cart and then it fell off and Uzzah went out to reach out and grab it and he got zapped and it was his irreverence and lack of respect and the impersonal way in which they were handling, disobediently handling God's 
ark that cost Uzzah his life. I think we'll see Uzzah in heaven. I think the Lord Jesus' blood covers Uzzah's sin as well. But it's a profound warning to remember that God is not managed by our strategies, but God is to be followed and honored in appropriate ways. We have to have appropriate ways of, of honoring him that are appropriate to who he is and who he shows himself to be. We have to dress for the journey and be prepared for the journey with him. So King David rethinks his plans, not merely his footwear on the hike, but his whole plan. Because God told him how to do this through Moses and Numbers. So before he goes and gets the ark from Obed-Edom's place, after Obed-Edom has it for three months, and David realizes, okay, the ark's, the ark's okay because Obed-Edom gets blessed for three months with the ark. So it's almost like a little cooling off period or not that David put the ark in, in sort of a timeout, but it almost seems like that. <laughs> but David rethought his plans and said, okay, I'm gonna not just dress appropriately, but I'm gonna do this whole thing appropriately, appropriate to God and I'm going to do it this way. David went to bring the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And there are three key things that David does here. He's not going to be overly chummy with this ark. He's going to remember whose it is. He's going to dress appropriately to the journey, so to speak. First, the individual's are now carrying the, carrying the ark according to Moses' instructions. Moses said to them they have to carry it, and particularly a group of people called the Kohathite Levites had to carry this ark. We know this from 1 Chronicles 15, which gives another account of this event and makes it clear that the Kohathite Levites were carrying the ark per Moses' instructions. See, God had a precise manner and kind of choreography for how to handle his ark. There were several groups of people. You had Aaron's sons, who were the priests, who would pack up sort of the mobile church that Israel had. Israel's ark was part of a whole mobile church they had set up. And Aaron's sons were the priests, and they would pack everything up when Israel was called to move on, covering all the items in their church in their, in their tabernacle with goat skin and blue and purple and scarlet cloths. And then there were these three families of the Levites who would serve as sort of assistants to the priests and carry the ark to the next destination on poles without ever touching it. Scholar David Allen Hubbard described it as each of the three families of the Levites had specific duties. And these sons of Kohath in particular, there are about 2,700 of these guys, aged 30 to 50, according to Numbers 436. And they were in charge of carrying the furniture after it had been carefully covered by the priests. So imagine this, like in our roles in the hilltoppers, you have the food preparers, the food servers, the person who handles the place settings, you know. In church, we have the musicians, the, the preacher, the choir. Same thing here, you have different people doing different things. And this group of Levites, these three uh, families of the Levites, the sons of Koath, 
and then these uh, sons of Gershon and these sons of Merari, they all had different duties. And the Kohathites were in charge of carrying it. So David does that right this time. He has these guys carry the ark, not just put it on an ox cart impersonally, but carry it. It's honoring God through a personal connection, carrying the ark. Even though God is transcendent and large and in charge, God is also personal and are caring for God's materials and, and the objects that we use and, and the life we have together in him reflects the personalness of God. So they carried this ark, this specific group of people. So David does that right where he had done it wrong earlier. So he has the Kohathites carry it. Then he has a procession where he sacrifices a bull and a fatted calf after six steps. So you get a sense of the personalness of God, carrying it by hand, his, carrying his ark by hand. And then you get this other sense of the awesomeness and perfection of God through these sacrifices. Sacrifices were burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. And there is some thinking that suggests that what is meant here is that the Israelites made sacrifices to God for every six steps they took with the ark. That would parallel the Assyrian customs at the time. So imagine these guys carrying the ark with poles in a personal way, not just leaving it to the ark or to the oxen cart, carrying it, and then every six steps making a sacrifice. The house of Obed-Edom was, they think, on a southwestern hill in Jerusalem. So it wouldn't have been too far to go. But they lengthen it out and they put them, their full selves into this, carrying this thing by hand and then possibly every six steps making a sacrifice. It would make sense if they sacrificed every six steps when carrying the ark because animal sacrifices were a big part of Old Testament Israel, Israel's life. The book of Leviticus begins with seven chapters about how to do these sacrifices. As one commentator put it, this is how the God of Israel combats sin in Israel. He combats sin by means of sacrifice and purification. So integrating these sacrifices into a walk with the ark would make perfect sense. And what it says is, we take sin seriously. We take sin seriously in the church, in, in the early church of Israel. But not only does walking with the sacrifices that cover sins show that we take sin seriously, walking with the sacrifices also says we take God's grace seriously because the sacrifices were a way that God made provision for a sinful people to be connected with him. God made provision for a sinful people to be connected with him through these sacrifices. God's grace is always the bigger part of the story. As someone once put it, 
There is more grace in God than there is sin in us. David sacrifices whatever the precise frequency all along the path of bringing the ark home embodies that reality that we're prone to sin every step of the way and that God is relentlessly gracious every step of the way. You imagine your day getting up and every six steps thinking about the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I know about you, but I think I need that. We all need that, to remember that constantly. We remember our sin and we remember even more God's grace. That's the gospel in the Old Testament, right? Really, really a foreshadowing of Christ covering not just every sixth step, but every step. So we see here in the handling of the ark, the personalness of God, the God who, whom we can grip as, as evidence for the gripping of, of his symbol, the ark, and the God who covers our every step with his sacrifice for our sins. Whatever you and I have done, whatever we are doing, whatever we will do, God's got us covered. And then lastly, we see it in how David dressed in 1 Chronicles 15, we're told that David wore a linen robe. And we're here told he wore an ephod. This was the, the attire of a priest. David taking on that office here. And not only that, there's this. The linen ephod, with wearing the linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. We're told he was leaping and dancing before the Lord as people were shouting and playing trumpets. When was the last time you leaped or leapt, is it? Danced, got excited for something? What would it look like for you to love your heavenly father so much that you lose yourself in exuberance. The physicality of exuberance builds momentum. Nehemiah 8.10 tells us, the joy of the Lord is your strength. When we're with a God who has a grip on us and whom we can grip as the Kohathite Levites grip the ark, when we're with a God who sacrifices for us so that every sixth step or every step is covered by the purifying blood of Christ, steps we've taken, will, are taking, and will take, that is grounds for joy and exuberance. It is an entirely appropriate response to dance. It's where the physical meets the spiritual in a stirring way. Scripture is clear. The physical expression of joy in the Lord makes us stronger. And this isn't random or, or disconnected. It doesn't just come from us naturally. It's a supernatural thing. The life of exuberance lives from the exuberance of God that we see ultimately in the risen Jesus. When you, have to, when you dance, you have to get up. You have to move. And Jesus got up from death itself. Not even that could hold him. It puts our sleepy mornings or 
when we have to get out of bed or our, or our difficult days of the office when we don't want to get out of our chair, <laughs> you know, it puts those things in perspective. He got up so we can get up and we can dance. I think it was James Taylor when he was talking about one of my favorite uh, musicians, probably my favorite musician, when he was talking about getting over his own drug addiction and he talked about the need to move. He talked about the need for someone who is in recovery, how important it is to move and get up and use your, use your body, use what God gave you. We're all in recovery from something and it's, it doesn't end. So we gotta keep moving. The life of holy exuberance and dance lives from the resurrected life of Jesus. David had the ark symbolizing the presence of God. We have the risen life of Jesus living inside us by the Holy Spirit. And so we dance. When we lose ourselves in dance before God, we come out of ourselves. That's worship. Eugene Peterson writes, Worship is the strategy by which we interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and attend to the presence of God. Worship is the time and place that we assign for deliberate attentiveness to God. Not because he's confined to time and space, but because our self-importance is so insidiously relentless that if we don't deliberately interrupt ourselves regularly, we have no chance of attending to him at all at other times and other places. We have to get out of ourselves or else we will sink into ourselves. So David goes all in to get out of himself, mentally, spiritually, and physically. He's carried out of himself. Dance or any movement that is physical in the honoring of God has a way of doing that for us. Godward movement, Godward movement anywhere can be thought of as a kind of divine dance. That extra spring in the steps of our food bank volunteers or as one of our children leaps onto the bus this week for adventure camp or even just a little bit of foot tapping during our musical worship or a little bit of sway as we move. For some who look on, such a life of dance will raise questions. What has that person got inside them? Besides caffeine maybe or something, right? What's captivating them? What's animating their step? What's the spring in their step? The world recognizes that kind of joy, that kind of exuberance, wherever it shows up, whether it's the garden team pulling weeds out here, right? Or people doing a power walk around the church or just walking with somebody and walking alongside them as you're sharing life with them. Not everyone's gonna get this though. As, the, uh, as our text says, as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. What a contrast. David has this lavish, exuberant reverence 
generous time of worshipful welcome to God's presence in the ark. And then listen to what happens. When David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. This is David's wife, and she's mocking him. She doesn't get it. She wants him to act more kingly. She misses the point completely. As Eugene Peterson puts it, for Michael, David had become a social, uh, I'm sorry, for Michael, God had become a social amenity, a political backer. Peterson says, I've always liked Alexander White's sentence on Michael. Quote, those who are deaf always despise those who dance. She didn't get it. She was deaf to the God who could not be managed like a political asset. She was clueless to the wild God David knew, who was large and in charge and not contained by our agendas to manage him and use him. Peterson concludes, if David had merely been carrying out his religious duties or conducting a political ceremony, he would have walked in solemn procession before the ark, leading it into Jerusalem with dignity. But this was no duty. He wasn't using God to give dignity to Jerusalem or taking pains that God would be properly honored. He was worshiping, responding to the living God. He was open to the life of God flowing around and through him. So David reminds Michael and responds to Michael by saying, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father, oof, it's harsh, or anyone from his house whom he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate for the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. Think of the father who loves his own child so much that he literally dances like a cheerleader. And then it goes viral or something, you know, because people are mesmerized by such exuberant all-in commitment. It's a beautiful thing to behold such a father's love. How can you and I shape our lives so that we are so captivated by our Heavenly Father's love that it makes us want to dance, want to move in whatever way? How can we shape our lives to be so excited about God like we get excited about the Mariners or the Seahawks? Maybe not so much about the Mariners lately, but the Seahawks, we can try to pray for them. But... um, or movies, or a rock concert, or whatever, or, or the beauty of our surrounding land, right? If we're lacking the affective dimension of the Christian life, we're missing something pretty important. The sense that we love God so much that the love makes us look goofy, or silly, or undignified in the eyes of the world. 
And simultaneously, this can happen. We can look kind of ridiculous, but also look intriguing. <laughs> Some people can integrate those. Others, like Michael, can't. David's response to Michael when he's called out for that is to say, essentially, you ain't seen nothing yet. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes. The freedom to be out of yourself, to just not care about what anyone else thinks because we're so keyed in to the godness of God. David's road was a long one and it brought him a lot of tough times. Perhaps you're on a long road in whatever way. Perhaps you've been chased or you're being chased by something or someone like David was chased by Saul and now his daughter Micah, Michael, who's slamming him. Maybe those chases and hits hit close to home for you. God is there to be held, to be gripped like they gripped the the ark, God is there covering our every steps with the blood of, of the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus Christ. And God is there waiting to be enjoyed. So much so that we come out of ourselves and are free even to look goofy. Be goofy for the Lord. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this and I will be humiliated in my own eyes, says the king, before the king of kings. May it be so for you and for me, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen.